Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, good morning, gardeners. Lovely day. And looking at the weather report, oh, this is just spectacular weather. Low to mid-70s for highs, sunny, um, mid-40s to 50s and higher for the daily lows. We have one week of, oh my gosh, this is gorgeous. And it's weather in which you can just go for a walk. And I have to laugh because there's a walking trail near where I live. It's not a very big one, and it's kind of the outside edge of it. But it looked like there was a parade the other day. People were walking around the path with their kids, their dogs, or just themselves. It was beautiful yesterday. And it's only going to get better today. The weather is only going to be nicer today. A 76 for a high. Wow. That's awesome sauce. Man, that is, that is the kind of weather we want to see. Now, they gave a hint, and unfortunately, they do this so that you have to stay and listen to the weather to get what they're going to say. But there was a suggestion that this week may be the last of the really, really nice weather. And that next week, there's a possibility of some cold weather. Now, like I said, I wasn't able to hear the whole report. I'll catch it again later today, or you can check with your weather station. But this cold weather they're referring to, they didn't say whether it was, oh, instead of being 75 and sunny, we're going to be 60. Or they didn't say that, hey, this is a hard freeze coming. So this week, we really need to enjoy it. We really need to go out and just enjoy this weather the best you can. Your veggies will be going crazy. This is, this is green stuff weather. So kale, spinach, cabbage, broccoli, all those things. <clears throat> They should be really eating up this weather. You should be get, getting great crops. Now, there's a problem. You may have a sudden rush of bugs. This is bug weather. So make sure you're, you know, checking your plants five minutes, just five minutes a day. Walk through your garden, look, look for holes in the leaves, look for torn edges on the leaves, things like that. But generally speaking, you should be able to simply go out there, enjoy what beautiful weather we're getting, and watch your plants grow for the most part. This is awesome stuff. This is really, really great weather. Um, if you've got nothing to do today and you're going out for a walk, Check the ground every once in a while. Those woolly bear caterpillars are going crazy. 
and they can cover a lot of ground in next to nothing time. It's uh, kind of funny to watch them. They're they're like running a race compared to all of the other caterpillars. They turn into several different moths depending on the caterpillar. We see a lot what's called a leopard moth. And you can imagine what a leopard moth looks like. It looks like a leopard. It's white with dark spots. Uh, it's attractive for a moth. But you will see these guys just running down the street. Had them crawl up the side of my house from the ground to the top and back down in under an hour. That's a pretty good distance going uphill for one of them. But they're out there and they are going crazy. Are they an issue where you need to worry about your plants? Uh, well, they're super non-selective. They will eat grass. They will eat leaves. They will eat anything basically that's green. It's unlikely they're causing damage, partly because they don't hang around in one spot very long. They're kind of cute. The butterfly or moth, excuse me, moth that the, they produce is very attractive, very pretty. So uh, that's totally your call. And of course, when we're talking caterpillars, the product to use is BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. It is a protein from this particular bacteria, from this Bacillus thuringiensis, and it's fermented, and when a caterpillar takes a bite of it and eats it, when it gets in his gut, it multiplies, and multiplies, and multiplies, and multiplies until pop, it, it literally bursts the gut of the caterpillar, and that'll kill it. It is super safe if a bird eats it, no damage to the bird. Uh, you can spray it on stuff this morning and you decide, you know, man, that lettuce looks really good. I'm going to make a salad this afternoon. Okay, bring it in and rinse it off. That's all you have to do. So it is a great product for taking care of those caterpillars. Now, please remember... Only spray what you're trying to protect. Don't bulk spray everything. BT is also the product you would use if you have caterpillars on your mountain laurels and they've been eating the leaves. Those are called genista. And they're skinny, hairy, ugly little caterpillars with a voracious appetite. They will really chunk down your, your mountain laurel They'll eat the blooms off. That's the one part I hate because they won't kill the plant, but they will take your bloom away. And that's the purpose of having. That's the total purpose of having the mountain laurel. So you start seeing that. They'll make a web around themselves. That's to protect them from the bugs that would normally eat them. So if you see that on your mountain laurels and you're standing there and you don't have BT mixed up or don't have any, take a stick and tear open the webs. That will let the predators get to the bad guys and help eliminate, help eliminate the bug 
from the mountain laurels. It's easy to do. They're, you know, they're they're not hard to take care of. But if you have the web on them, the BT won't soak through and won't be as effective, if it's all effective. So tear those webbings open. Let nature take its course or tear the webbing open and spray with BT. That's the cure for caterpillars. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Yesterday, I was talking about how we need cold weather, specifically from 45 degrees down to 32 degrees. We need weather to be in that temperature range. That's called a chill hour. And many of our fruit trees, some of our uh, bushes, require a certain number of chill hours for them to trigger to say, okay, now we can bloom and set fruit. Too few chill hours, nope, not going to set fruit. Too many chill hours, it may try to set fruit, and we get a late freeze, which freezes off all the fruit. So the end result is, if you are outside of the proper chill hours for that plant, you're not going to get fruit. So this is why it's such a critical thing that when you buy fruit trees or fruit plants, that you do it at a local independent nursery because these local nurseries know what the chill hours will be in your area. And they'll be able to tell you, oh, you're looking at this peach. Well, where you live, it never gets cold enough. Or where you live, uh, it's, it's too cold for that particular peach to reliably provide you with a crop. Apricots, nectarines, peaches, plums, pears, all of these fruit uh, are dependent on chill hours. So you don't just order a plant from out of state if it's not correct for the chill hours you have. Now, that's part of the problem with what you can pick up at a big box store. They may carry a peach that works a whole lot better in Dallas-Fort Worth or in Corpus Christi than they will here. So if you know what a chill hour is, meaning you know that it's between 45 degrees and 32 degrees, you have to have a way to measure that and count them. And you know what? I'm not staying up in the middle of the night to check the thermometer. That's where you can get what's called a personal weather station. 
A lot of companies make them. They're relatively inexpensive. Now, I won't lie to you. $100 will get you a decent one. $200 will get you a very, very good one. And you can spend $10,000 on a weather station. Some farmers do because it has the ability to broadcast its information miles as opposed to a couple hundred feet from your home. The weather stations are surprisingly accurate. And with some simple guidance, you set them up in, um, at a certain height and a certain distance from the house, and you will get real accurate readings. And from that point, it records them, usually on like 30-second intervals, depending on how you set it up, and keeps track of this. And you can get it to do the math for you to tell you how many chill hours you got. It's a really great system. The Natural Gardener used to have one they used for that purpose. Uh, I had one, um, a storm destroyed it, and I haven't replaced it. I have been looking for them, not sure which one I want to go with. So here's this neat technology we have that can help us be better gardeners. Now, the weather station will measure how much rain you got, how strong the wind happened to a bend, the humidity, of course, will check your temperatures. How cold did it get last night or how hot did it get today? They're comprehensive. They keep everything that you're going to get from your local weather newscast with the advantage of being able to record it. So the technology is there. And like I said, there is a huge range in the quality of devices that you can get when it comes to cost. They generally only need one mount, one little pole to mount them on, and all of the pieces are together. And they will transmit a signal into the house to this little receiving unit where you can get to see everything it is going on. Well, you can take one step up on several models, and they have a soil sensor. You can stick it in the ground, and it will report to the weather station what the soil moisture is. Man, think about that. You have something out there at all times keeping track of what the soil moisture is and lets you know when you need to go out there and water. And it'll show it on this display that you can track how wet has it been this month? How much rain did I get this week? How much of it stayed in the soil? Those are important questions that give you that one more step up in having a successful garden or flower bed for that matter. These devices these devices really help when you're trying to garden and they're really convenient when 
you can look at them without having to go out to the garden to see what's going on. Now, I'm not saying you should ignore your garden and do it remotely. But these devices keep an eye on your stuff overnight. You know, what happened in the middle of the night? Did we get a rainstorm I didn't expect? Wow, we got rain and it was enough that I don't need to go water now. So they can save you water. They can also tell you when you really need to add water to the equation, when we haven't gotten enough rain. You usually can calculate by the week, 24-hour period, by the month, or for the entire year, what your weather was like. Chill hours, water in the soil, amount of rain, what kind of winds did you have to deal with? What was the air pressure like? Is there going to be a change in the weather because of a sudden drop or rise? Did we get a sudden high pressure? Is that why we're so hot? All of these things from one of these weather stations. And I don't deny they are not, like I said, there's a huge range in prices. Some of you may not be willing to, yeah, that's not worth it to me. Okay. Okay. But just being able to be aware that it exists lets you make that choice. It can really help you decide what you're going to do, and it can help keep things properly watered, know when you've had too much water and you see plants turning yellow, they can answer questions like that. They can tell you how much rain you got, how cold it got. Calculate those chill hours for you. So these are very worthwhile devices. They're an investment. They can last for years. Mine lasted eight years before a storm damaged it. But these are things that you should consider. This is Gardening Naturally. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll need to break for the news. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, gorgeous day. God. It is so awesome. I'm sorry, I'm going to mention 10 times today what a pretty day it's going to be. A great day to go outside and do nothing if you don't want to. I, I've got people in my neighborhood, everybody's going out for a walk here lately. And that's great, especially the folks who got their dogs with them and taking the dog for a walk. I'm sure the dog loves that got some bad news that saw on the weather report cedar showed up for the first time in the allergy listing now it wasn't really high but it was climbing and it would be what they considered to be low so those of you who have issues with cedar you got a warning 
And what you do about it is whatever you do about it. Those of you who are new to Texas, the Austin area, congratulations. Um, a lot of people can go several years before cedar begins to bother them, if it bothers them at all. I always thought cedar was an issue for me. I actually went and had an allergy test, you know, the scratch test, and um, cedar didn't bother me. We had to find that it was a different allergen that happens to be out near the same time as cedar. And I also have an issue with mold, which is pretty much 24-7 in Austin. But those of you who get it, <clears throat> we're coming up to that part of the year. When we get that first hard freeze, we are going to have Cedar City. You'll see the buds form, the trees will turn brown, and it'll look like they're on fire. There'll be so much pollen that the cedar will create smoke. And the fire departments get calls all the time about it. That's how severe it looks. But they're used to it. And, uh, the, you know, they, they send somebody by to make sure it's not a fire and try to explain to folks, that's how bad pollen can be here in Central Texas. Now, we'll always hear the comment, well, let's cut the cedars down. No, <laughs> we really need them. They didn't exist anywhere near as much once we controlled fire. Wildfires would burn the cedars out, prevent them from starting. Well, we don't have those anymore. We developed everything. We have fire systems. We do everything we can to prevent it. So cedar is now able to set root. And yes, we call it cedar fever. It's not cedars. It's a plant called uh, ash juniper. They're attractive trees. They serve a purpose. They're great for wildlife. Um, they're evergreen. They can be shaped to some extent. They can be really great trees. But they produce the pollen. And no, cutting one down from your backyard is not going to prevent you from being attacked by the cedar. So understand that. It's a tree that is throughout Texas. And you know, when we have our worst cedar, it also shows up into mid-Oklahoma. I guess that's our revenge against Oklahoma. I don't know what else to call it. But you, you could not remove all of the cedars in Texas to get rid of the pollen. You can't. There's too many of them. So get ready for it. It's a coming. And it'll just depend on what kind of year we have as to whether or not it will be a ton 
or it will be just a drop. So get ready. Sometimes, especially allergy sufferers, sufferers, excuse me, uh, this was described to be by my allergy guy when I discovered that molds were a problem. And he recommended to take my allergy medicine before I was affected. Not like a month ahead of time, but a week or so. When you know that the conditions are going to be right for that mold, that's the time that you want to turn around and start uh, start preparing for the um, pollen attack. So, something to look forward to here for soon will be the cedar fever. Now, it has really been awesome weather. Statistically speaking, we should have frozen by now. We should have had a freeze here in central Texas. And it does not look, with the weather, it doesn't look like we're going to see a freeze in the next week minimum, maybe two weeks. So we're running late in the year, and not everybody will complain about that. You know, we, we like this unbelievably good weather that we have coming up this week to go outside. This is almost picnic weather. But we got to have the cold. Without the cold, there will be a host of insects that we don't kill off, which means they'll start the spring with a whole bunch more. We will have issues with our fruit trees, not getting the right amount of cold to produce fruits, especially an older tree, because the temperatures have changed since you put that tree in the ground. And it may not be the right number of cold hours for it to produce well. That gets to be frustrating. There is no fix for the there's no fix for the tree. You can't keep it warmer and you definitely can't make it colder. So we're lucky some of us will consider us lucky this year. Because it looks like we're going to be at least two weeks behind the average freeze. The scary part's going to be the other side. Once we get our average freeze, are we going to stay cold as long as we normally do? Or are we going to be surprised by an especially warm spring leading to another unbearable summer. I'm nothing but good news today, aren't I? Sorry. Um, kind of a realist, trying to plan the things that I want to take care of 
this year. I've pulled plants and put in different ones, and I want to get that list finished up. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I got to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. <clears throat> I have a uh, blood orange. I've had it for a long time, 10 years or more now. In the same container, yes, I know that's a problem. I need to, and I'm hoping to this spring, um, cut it out of the container. That's, I think, the only way I'm going to be able to do it. Brush off a mu- uh, as much of the existing dirt as I can and get a new container and put new soil in it and transplant the plant. Now, it's been plenty happy. I am sure those roots are wrapped tighter than, you know, a watch clock. So I am at fault for that, but it is performing. Right now, it's putting on all kinds of new buds that will turn into a flower and hopefully produce some fruit for me. It's done so before. Now, a blood orange needs certain temperatures, um, which are this time of the year, this week would be perfect for it. But these kind of temperatures make the inside of the fruit redder and redder and redder. Now, if we were really warm, it would still produce the fruit and it would still taste great but it wouldn't be as red. That's part of the allure of the citrus. So um, I have just little buds at the moment. They're about the size, they're not even the size of a pea. So I have a ways to go. The plant is in a location that if we get a freeze, which would be damaging to it, I can easily drag it into the garage. There's a spot I just got to open the garage door, pull on the container, bring it in, close the door, and keep it above freezing. Now, a lot of people do this with their containerized citrus because citrus from a commercial nursery is generally... I was going to say built, but is generally grafted to a rootstock that'll keep it short. So you will see citrus may grow to six feet in a container, maybe, maybe eight feet. And it's going to take it a while to do so. And you can keep it trimmed and make it look just gorgeous. But having it in a container gives you that extra protection to be able to move it into uh, to move it into a protected area and keep it warm. Because around here we get cold. We all know that. I have recorded eight degrees at my home. 
eight. We're not supposed to get that cold, but we do. We have those amazing days. And even worse, we can get below freezing and stay there consecutive hours. I think the last time we did was 72 hours below freezing. That would be harmful to the plant. But that's the thing. 72 hours. At the end of those 72 hours, we started warming up. We got above freezing again. And my citrus is okay when you keep it above freezing temperatures. So after three days in the garage, it warmed up. I opened the door and pulled it back outside. And I have kept citrus in a container in a building that had no light for seven days straight. When I pulled it out, there was no doubt about it. It really wanted to see some sunshine. But it brightened right up after even one day back outside. It didn't kill the tree. It dropped a couple of leaves, but it recovered very, very well. It is one of the best ways, the best ways uh, to keep it growing here when we get our freezes. So if you want to try citrus, which performs very well here in Texas, consider keeping it in a movable container. And I know I can drive through town and I can point out super big, tall citrus trees that have been there for years that produce really, really well. They're the exception, not the rule. They happen to have microclimates that allow them to do particularly well and stay warm enough that it's not a problem. So, if you are a citrus, if you want to try it, it is an attractive tree with a beautiful scent to the bloom. Check out your options. Some citrus will only bloom and pr produce fruit once a year. Some citrus can produce fruit multiple times per year. But you're taking a bet putting it into the ground. Like I said, I can point out lots of citrus trees in Texas, especially in the Austin area, that are big, tall, and covered with fruit. They are the exception to the rule. Exception. Okay. So plan well if you go choose to try to put in citrus plants so that you can harvest a, a absolutely delicious fruit. Just like nearly anything else we have in our garden, Nothing tastes better than picking that fruit right off the vine and taking a bite out of it. Strawberries are unbelievable to pick them when they're ripe and just eat them as you stand there. The same with blueberries. 
with citrus and apples and peaches and plums. But if you've got a real hankering for citrus, yes, I said hankering, when you've got a real desire, you can do it. But I really recommend you consider putting them in a pot and making sure that you'll have a spot to take them out of the cold in an emergency. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Coming up to the top of the hour, we're going to break for the news. I'll catch you on the other side. 